Welcome to By George, an 80 Players podcast here at the George Theater. I am your host, Miranda Zapes, and today I have with me the artistic producer of the George Theater. My name is Kevin Dean. Kevin also co-playwrote uh, A Texas Carol, which is the next show that we have coming up. So we're going to get into all of those details. I want to hear about what the writing process was like, see if we have any secrets for what's coming up in the future. <laughs> uh, but we'll just start with, uh, Kevin, how did you wind up here at the 80 Players? Uh, so I was poking around Dallas. Um, I went to an actor's conservatory there, and uh, I graduated and was just kind of doing film and television and commercial work in the Dallas area. Back back then, Walker, Texas Ranger shot in Dallas. Um, a lot of commercials shot in Dallas. Um, Barney was in Dallas. A lot of stuff was out there. Wishbone. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of opportunities to, to do film or on-camera work. And so I was doing all those, doing some theater. Um, I was in the Batman stunt show at Six Flags Over Texas in Arlington. Really? Yeah, I was uh, the host and the penguin. So I had uh, two roles. And the entire the entire uh, show was about 18 minutes, and it was pre-recorded. So all the voices, like Batman, Penguin, all those voices were pre-recorded. And everybody else were stunt performers, except me. I was the only actor. Yeah. So I would come out in my, you know, and I would introduce the scene. So they hit play, there would be music, and I'd come out and introduce the scene. And then I'd run off stage and get into my penguin outfit and then come on stage and get beat up by Batman and then go <laughs> off stage and take that off and come back out and introduce the next scene. Mm-hmm. And there are like three or four scenes, but, uh, and we did something like five or six shows a day. There's only like 18 minutes, you know, so we'd go out and do the show and then go back to the locker room or go hang out at the park. We just go ride rides. You know, we had free access to the whole park. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that was my summer. That was great. That was like the summer of 98, I think. Okay, I was just about to ask you, because I went to Six Flags all the time as a child, but that was a little bit before I was. Okay, yeah, so <laughs> summer of 98, and yeah. uh, it was fun. I like most of them. This is the best job I've ever had. Now, I don't know what I'm still doing here at the 80 Players. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and that, you know, I was just living off whatever I made on, you know, commercials and residuals and you know, playing a lot of video games and, <laughs> you know. What any graduate does afterwards, yeah, yeah. still trying to figure it out. And then you eventually moved down to Houston. Yeah, so uh, a girl I was going to church with was from Houston, and she asked if I had ever heard of the 80 players, and, yeah. and I hadn't. And uh, again, this was the late 90s, so none of us really had the internet, or at least understood how to access it. And so I called and they sent me some paperwork and it looked like a fun place. You know, I mean, it was a theater and they had a children's theater and they had a touring company. And so I, uh, a buddy of mine came down and we auditioned and my buddy didn't get cast. So he moved to LA and I moved down here and I'd only planned to stay for about a year, but just kind of fell in love with the place and the mission. And, you know, I mean, actors really just want to work consistently, Yeah. you know, and, and I was at a, theater company that was hiring me consistently to be in shows and so I was like man it doesn't get any better than this yeah and so you were a- an actor for a-, a while with 80 players or you-, you did their internship yeah so I was an intern and then my second year I toured with the National toured, Touring okay. Company and so we went up and down the country performing in churches and colleges and schools and, and some other small theaters um, and that's where I met my wife mm-hmm um, so she was an intern and she toured with us and then, uh, fell in love and sort of, uh, dated in secret 
You know, oh, we didn't really? tell anybody that we were dating. Yeah. Um, you just never know. It's I was going to say, was there, work out. was there like a, a reason for that? Was it yeah, like the company well, wouldn't let you? Or? No, no, the company didn't care. Okay. Oh my goodness. So many, so many people have come through here and, and met and gotten married and started a family. No, the company didn't. I mean, uh, I guess the 80 players were like the original eHarmony. Yeah. You know, people were <laughs> come here and meet and fall in love. Um, I want people in our business and we were touring a lot. So we were in the back of a van. And so we we're spending a lot of time with other folks that we just didn't, you know, want to bring them into that. No, of course. Okay. And uh, um, I'm pretty private to begin with. So, yeah, I was just like, you know what? If I don't, if the less they know, the better. Yeah. Okay. I think people suspected. I'm sure they did. No, I'm of sure course. we were terrible. You, I, mean, <laughs> I was going to say, you see two people going off together. Yeah, where are they like, going? Wonder what's happening there. Why are they always going yeah. to get coffee? <laughs> what are they not like us? Yeah, what's <laughs> going on? <laughs> and then you transitioned into, um, you were over the Children's Academy, correct? Yeah. So um, shortly after my tour of duty, so to speak, was done on the touring unit, I started working with the Children's Theater. So I oversaw. That we produce at the time, I think we were producing five children's shows a year. Actually, scaled it back to four. Uh, children's Theater at the time was performing at St. Luke's United Methodist mm. over off of Edlow and Westheimer. They have a a rotunda theater, a theater in the round that seats about 150. And so we performed all our children's shows there. We rehearsed there. We performed there. To work with our founder and artistic director at the time, Jeanette Cliff George, on you know, finalizing what that season was going to look like. And then, you know, we'd cast the shows and yeah, we would open our season with Christmas mm -hmm. and then do something in the, uh, the winter, something in the spring. And then we'd do a Bible classic mm -hmm. in the summer, something that would be based on a, on a, a biblical story. Like we did Zach and Jack once, which is sort of a modern day Zacchaeus. Yeah. We did, uh, um, you know, Joshua and the Torah, 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 which is a musical Jeanette wrote, which is about, Joshua and the Battle of Jericho. Oh, nice. Um, yeah. So, you know, we would always do uh, stuff like that. Yeah. And so, and then that's what ultimately transitioned you into being an artistic producer. Yeah. So, you know, uh, as we started to make plans to move into this place, um, you know, Jeanette was obviously getting older and um, I was already working with her on uh, script selection for the main stage. So once upon a time, we had a script selection committee that would sort of uh, take Jeanette's ideas and then f read a bunch of scripts and filter it down, distill it down to a, a list of shows and then say, hey, what do you think about these shows? And then she would kind of go through and say, yes, no, let's add this one or whatever. Yeah. Um, she was getting older and it, it, we were needing to program here and, you know, she needed a little more assistance. They moved me into the uh, associate artistic director position to just sort of kind of help along with children's theater stuff because at the time we still had it. And then also the main stage and, you know, working through who's going to direct these shows, who's yeah. going to design these shows, yeah. who's going to be in these shows, you know, working with her on making those decisions. That's awesome. And so that's, yeah, you, that's what started you. That's where you were associate artistic producer. And so that's what you do now on a day to day basis. Yeah. Yeah. So my focus is um, executing the, the season. Yeah. Right. And so that starts depending on how often we plan a year, year and a half in advance. Mm -hmm. So we're already we already have a pretty good idea of what we're going to do 2024, 2025. Yeah. And so then we're thinking about, okay, so if we close the season with this in 2025, what do we want to open with going into 25, 26? So exactly. we're trying to think pretty far in advance. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, once you get this point, so we have a pretty good idea of what we're doing next year. 
then it'll be about um, obtaining the rights from the publishing houses. Mm -hmm. And then once we have the rights, then we can start, you know, talking to who are these directors that we want and designers who do we want to design these shows and start thinking about auditions and yeah. actors. And so, yeah, it just, it's, it's a process. And then once all that stuff is cast, you start eventually rehearsing for the first show. Well, sometimes you're rehearsing the show while you're casting the next one. It just depends. Wow. Um, and so, yeah, it's just working with the director uh, to make sure, you know, we're achieving um, a shared vision for mm -hmm. the show. Yeah. Um, and I've got a great team that works with me. Um, you know, Michael Mullins, who's our uh, design and production manager, he works specifically, most specifically with the designers mm -hmm. on the technical aspect of it. Yeah. On achieving their uh, vision for, you know, sets and such. And Samantha Dante, she's our costume shop manager. So she works with the costume designers. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, together we all work together to try to, you know, good grief. Put on a play. But yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just try and I don't know, make art, tell a story. Yeah, tell a story. <laughs> it's fascinating because I mean, it's I again I come from a cinema world, and so I know like producer, they're very yeah, logistical. They're pulling the whole team together. But it's for well, sometimes, I mean, just one feature film. And so, like, you get the team together, you do everything in pre-production, and then it's off to the races and you move on to the next thing. But this is something that, like, you're planning, like, basically six movies at once. Yeah, yeah. You're planning that far out, right? Yeah. And you're thinking, and, and obviously, when you work that far out, life changes for people. Yeah. You know, um, you know, we have actors that say, oh, I can't, I'm moving. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, sometimes it's, hey, I got another gig that's actually better for for my career and for my family, yeah, you know, and you're like, okay, that's fine. Thank you for the, the notice, you know. <laughs> of course. Um, that's always, that's never ideal, but, uh, you know, you get it. They're actors. We're all actors. We've mm -hmm. been there. I've been there before, yeah. you know, and, and you've got an obligation to, you know, what's best for you and your family. So there's always curveballs, yeah. you know, in any given production. And so what you try to do is, is control what you can control and make sure that, you trust the people that are in place with stuff like that because inevitably something's going to come. Some curve, someone's going to throw you a curveball, some curveball is going to happen and you're going to have to react to it. Yeah. So if you're confident with all this other stuff that you can control, you can focus energy on solving these problems that come up. Exactly. Um, rather than having to solve problems yeah. everywhere. No, of course. You know. uh, so, I mean, in the marketing world, we're also like – right there with you, I almost feel mm -hmm. like, of like, we're already planning a, a year ahead or two years ahead. I think uh, it surprises a lot of people to hear that we plan so far in advance. How, what, how do you even start going about planning? I mean, for 24, 20, I mean, 25, 26. So, you know, we, uh, it's always, it's always smart to think about what's the show that closes your season mm -hmm. and how is that going to relate to the show that's going to open your season? Mm -hmm. Because recently we We've been closing our season with a big musical, mm -hmm. right? Um, which could be a cast of upwards of 25. And you've got 12 to 14 folks in your orchestra. Yeah. And you've got a lot of moving parts, a lot of costumes, a lot of set pieces. You know, and so you, your team, the production team, spends a lot of time building up to that. And then once that's done and open, then we're in summertime. And then we're planning for the first show of the season, mm -hmm. right? So do you want 
another great big show after coming off a big show mm. or how does that balance? And if you are going to do a big show, cause sometimes you do, I mean, that's yeah. just what, it's what's best for the organization. What's best mm -hmm. for the community. Mm -hmm. That's why you plan so far in advance so that you're like, well, if we're going to do two great big shows back to back, how do we execute it on the front end? Mm -hmm. Right. So that means maybe we bump up some of our, our goals, uh, for the summer show that way it gives us more breathing room in advance of you know going into the fall show yeah so it's just thinking through details like that okay um which i'm not the best at i've got a team <laughs> that has is really detail oriented that really helps think through a lot of those problems yeah you know they see those potential problems and so that we can react to them but oftentimes you know you want to you want to kick your season off uh you know with a bang yeah. You know, you want to say, this is our new season and this is what it's a, because a lot of times the folks may not have seen the summer show. So the last time they've seen a show or been in your building was in the spring or, or before. I see. You yeah. Know, so, yeah, it's just, and honestly, it's about finding what's the right story. Yeah. Falls, depending on the show you pick, fall can be a difficult show to sell mm -hmm. because it's back to school. You know, kids are yeah. back in August, but you know, parents are gearing up. There's sports, you know, there's baseball, soccer, football, um, you know, gymnastics. I mean, there's just a lot of competition. Yeah. And so the fall is, is if you, if you don't have something that is a title that's going to draw people, mm -hmm. sometimes it's a challenge to get people and in, in, engage them in the fall. Like one of the highest grossing shows we've ever done was uh, in the fall was uh, The Hiding Place. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Right? But it had a huge audience. I mean, mm -hmm. it was a book. Yeah. Um, it, it, that, that particular story is is woven into the fabric of the 80-player tapestry because mm -hmm. our founder, Jeanette Cliff George, played Corey Tim Boone mm -hmm. in the film version. Yeah. Um, and so we wanted to honor her and honor that story. And uh, obviously, you know, in, in Christian circles, the hiding place is very, very well known. You know, the story of Corey Ten Boom and the concentration camp and, and all that stuff. So it had a wide, wide appeal. I mean, we sold like gangbusters mm -hmm. for that show. But then again, you know, we've done uh, one, uh, coming out of COVID, we did a, a two-person show, Dear Jack, Dear Louise. Yeah. Which is, which I directed and I love that show. And it's about, uh, it's a love story that uh, is between um, a soldier in the army during World War II and an actress in New York Mm. Uh, trying to make a living and they actually don't meet until after the war they they fall in love through letters yeah and it's based on a true story uh ken ludwig the playwright it's based on his parents story like he found their letters and mm -hmm. sort of adapted this into a play and it's just a beautiful show yeah um but not a lot of people came to see it you know because it's not well known yeah you know um and so it's just you know the fall is always a challenge is how how are we going to start the season off to create some momentum mm -hmm. um, while also, you know, being responsible, responsible to a budget? <laughs> no, of course. <laughs> Knowing yeah. we got to sell tickets. To That's it. and yeah. And I can't imagine like from a budget standpoint of like that first show has to like kind of sets the tone yeah. for what the rest of the season is going to be like. And so if it's not, I, I see the the struggle of trying to get through the, the rest of. Yeah. You want to come out of the gate firing, you know, you don't yeah. want to limp out. <laughs> no, of course. Let's talk about A Texas Carol. So that's okay. the show that we're coming up next uh, that should be opening, I mean, a week from hopefully when this episode goes out. Uh, you co-wrote it with our uh, executive artistic mm -hmm. director, uh, Jamie McGann. Mm -hmm. What was that process like? Where did the idea come from? So it's so, I guess the things that we write, and I don't think this is normal. I think this is, 
I think this is so backwards. But even Texas Carol, it started with a title. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's usually the last thing that well, you come up with. I was going to say, well, when I'm doing writing and I write very little, I always have to come up with a title first before I can well, move it, on. I think it helps. Yeah. Most, a lot of times the titles change. Yeah. You know, as the story changes or, or whatever. But um, so we had, we had picked our season. We had picked last season already, but we hadn't settled on a Christmas show. Mm-hmm. And there was one Christmas show that we were really, we really liked. But um, it had just closed off of Broadway, and we were waiting to see if we could get the rights to it. Mm-hmm. And we just, they just, they weren't at a point where they could focus on that. So we were like, man, we got to do something. Yeah. And it was like the night before our gala when we were going to announce it. <gasps> really? And so Jamie and I, we just were sitting down and we we're spitballing ideas and titles. And I think it was Jamie that was like, what about a Texas Carol? I'm like, I like, that's got a nice ring to it. I was like, I think that would, I think that's appealing. Like if I hear that title, I'm like, oh, I'm interested in that. Yeah. You know, I don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. Is it somehow related to a Christmas Ms. carol? Mm-hmm. No, not in any way, shape, or no. form. No. But you don't know that. Yeah. And so. <laughs> it could be. And we didn't know that either. Maybe it was gonna, who knows. Yeah. But so we we're like, let's do it. Texas Carol, it'll be about, we knew it was going to be about um, a family at Christmas. Mm-hmm. That's kind of all we knew. Yeah. And that um, the family was going to come and discover that uh, the matriarch, the great-grandmother, had passed away. Mm-hmm. And then it was like, how are we going to deal with that? Yeah. It's kind of all we knew. Um, From the very beginning, you knew that that's what it was. I, we, we knew it. I think so. Like, Because I, I, we, we landed on the title and then shortly thereafter started fleshing out what it could be. Yeah. Um, we knew we wanted it to be a comedy mm-hmm. um, in sort of where, you know, we sort of tie everything together, not necessarily with a pretty little bow, but where we at least sort of address all of the characters sort of hurts. Yeah. And uh, so we gave that title to marketing and they came up with, we hadn't even created this character yet, I don't think. Or if we did, I know we didn't tell marketing, but like the original marketing was a Texas Carol and then it had a Santa Claus in overalls with a cowboy hat. And we're like, I bet we, I bet we could do that. Yeah, we could fit that in. And so we wrote, <laughs> we wrote the character Jerry in. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, and then uh, I guess, you know, we had decided that and we kind of knew basically what our story was, but then we went on a retreat, a writer's retreat that summer and uh, just really sort of figured out the story and the characters. Like, mm-hmm. Who are these people? Where are they coming from? Why are they here now? What's going on in their lives? Um, you know, what pain do they have? Or are they burying? Or what are they running from? Yeah. And uh, so once we figured all that out, then we're like, okay, so this is sort of who these people are. This is sort of the overarching story. Now, how do we get from point A to point B to point C to, to the end? Mm-hmm. And so then we started to beat out, you know, this is, these are the story beats. These are the scenes. Um, and then, you know, he'd take a scene and I'd take a scene and then, you know, we'd flip flop and, and then go to the next one and then the next one, and the next one. And, and, uh, until we had it done. I remember, I know that we, we knew that Meemaw was going to, the gifts from Meemaw mm-hmm. were going to be what, what sort of tied everybody, tied everybody, or I guess, um, bring closure, you know, and provide healing for each one of the, 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 the family members. Mm-hmm. So we knew that's what we wanted. Mm-hmm. We didn't have any idea what those gifts were yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was the last thing I think that we wrote. 
Yeah. Um, and I think that was Jamie because um, we needed to get a production draft and we, we just hadn't landed on what are these. I mean, some of them we knew or we knew we had an idea about. Mm-hmm. Um, but then he went off one night and kind of came up with it. Yeah. And then brought it to me the next day. And I'm like, oh, man, this is great. And then we just started editing and tweaking and polishing from there. Yeah. You know, to get it down to what it is. But, yeah, it's nice. And it's uh, what I what I love about it. Like, I initially pitched the idea to Jamie that we see Meemaw at the end somehow. Mm. And we, we, we kind of vacillated on that back and forth. And then we ultimately cut it because you hear Meemaw. You don't hear her. You don't hear an actress's voice. Mm-hmm. But you hear her voice through her her grandchildren and great grandchildren. Mm -hmm. And that allows people to sort of project their own Meemaw into that because Mm -hmm. everybody's got that. She may be a grandmother or an aunt, but there's that person in your family that just is the wise, you know, uh, wisdom giving person that loves everyone unconditionally that happens, that knows what's going on in your life Mm -hmm. and knows the right thing to say at the Mm -hmm. right time. Yeah. And that's who Meemaw is. Yeah. And everybody got has has that person. Mm-hmm. And so by not ever seeing her, you're allowing everybody to sort of see who they have. In yeah. Their life. They can put that their person yeah. as that character. Yeah, which is which is a nice touch. Yeah. Like having written it or been a, a co-writer on it and then also being the director and the artistic producer you talked about at the beginning you get to bring all these pieces together you being all of those positions get yeah. really <laughs> i wouldn't normally recommend that yeah just in terms of um you know because i think each one of those roles has its own responsibilities yeah you know and is important um but he and i had built out the world pretty well i think we knew what we wanted this house to look like. Yeah. And, or at least we knew how we want, let me put it this way. We knew how we wanted this house to feel. When mm. you walked into the theater, we wanted you to feel warm and welcome and that you've been here before to some degree. Yeah. And creating that world was pretty, especially we got a great designer, Ryan McGettigan, um, who really took that and ran with it. Um, and so directing it, you know, I knew who these characters are. And to me, I think <laughs> I would, I, I'm not, I'm by no means um, a visionary sort of, you know, cut, uh, cutting edge state of the art director. I'm, I'm more of a, a storyteller, I think. And, and I try my best to, to hire the right actors because I find that they always bring things that you don't anticipate yeah. in telling the story. And if you get the right actors, man, they can hide all the other flaws you have as a director. Yeah. <laughs> they can cover it right up <laughs> and make you look a lot better than yeah. you are. And, and that's what we, last year, we did that. This year, we've got um, all but two mm-hmm. uh, cast members have returned. And the two that we brought in are just amazing. Yeah. You know, they fit right in. You're like, yep, these, I can see how these folks are related. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just a joy to watch them work, you know. And it's, it's been fun to revisit it with a group of people who you you've figured out a lot already yeah you know and so now you know you're not starting from zero Mm -hmm. you're starting from kind of a performance level that you've come from because you did it the last year and now you can just sort of play and search for more nuance yeah and uh and deepen relationships and stuff and and i think that's been helpful to the two new cast members i know you know on the one hand you know because we talked about it you know you're like 
I'm walking into this environment where everybody else is like so far ahead of me. Yeah. You know, I'm not even off the book. I've only read the script however many times. Mm -hmm. and, and that can be intimidating. But um, the cast is, they all fit right together. Yeah. And, um, you know, I told them, I'm like, listen, if one of, one of the ways I'll define success for this show is if at the end of this process, we laughed at every rehearsal, mm. we, and at the end of the day, we all want to work together again. Yeah. You know, because I think storytelling is fun and it should be fun. It's make-believe. We're grown up, we're, we're playing grown up make-believe, yep. you know, and Play playing dress up, you mm -hmm. know, and, and that's fun. It's advanced and it's, you know, it has, it's not without its nuance or, you know, but, you know, it's, at the end of the day, we're just, we're just playing pretend and, and that's fun. It should be. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Went to a couple of the rehearsals. I think two of them. I went to the very first one when you guys were doing a table read. And then the first or a couple of days after you guys had originally gotten on stage, mm -hmm. the designers run. Um, I've heard from cast members that the rehearsal process has been really quick mm -hmm. and that it's everybody's just kind of picking up where they left off. What is it like as the director seeing everything come together so quickly? <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to do this week. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I mean, like, I mean, uh, you know, there's, there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of problems areas. Yeah. So I, my objective is to make sure that our two new actors mm -hmm. get the repetition that they need. Yeah. Okay. You know, um, to make sure they feel comfortable and help be there for them to shepherd them through this process. Do you, are you have any questions? Mm -hmm. What's not working for you? And, and sort of work through it from that regard, because, you know, it's a Texas Carol, you know, it's not, it's not long day's journey into the night. I mean, it, it or, or Shakespeare. I mean, it's, yeah. it's a, it's a fun family comedy. Yeah. And you know, we don't want to reinvent the wheel. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, so how do I, because we're not reinventing anything, so much has been discovered. It's about, all right, what new discoveries can we make? Mm -hmm. And how do we keep those grounded in reality? Yeah. Um, and then helping the, the two new actors sort of feel comfortable and make sure they get the repetition that they need. Yeah. Cause everybody else has had a whole run. Yeah, exactly. Know, and that's mm -hmm. in their bones. Mm -hmm. So when you watch it, it doesn't look like our two new actors. I mean, they Have all missed a beat. Yeah. No, no, not at all. I mm -hmm. mean, it's, I, I told them they're, they're ready for an audience. They're ready for somebody other than me to respond to them. I really, yeah, I think so too. And that's so strange <laughs> being, we don't, we haven't even tech that we, we tech this weekend. Yeah. You no. Know? So, um, I've been in shows where the show wasn't as far along as this one is like after tech. You're like, oh, wow. Man, some actors still on other lines. We don't yeah. some cues. I mean, some stuff hasn't been ironed out. Mm hmm. So they're in a really, really good spot. That's awesome. Um, what can audiences expect going in? I mean, if they saw the show last year, I, I mean, it's the exact same show, but these nuances that you're talking about. It, it's, the sa it's the same script. Yeah. Um, and there are similarities because it's the same script. But the two new actors uh, bring, they're very different mm -hmm. than the actors last year in all the right ways, you know, um, and that's what's kind of fun to see when you change one or two things in a process, the ripple effect of that, you know. Um, some of it's very subtle. Some of it's very drastic in very good ways, you know. And it's fun to see various interpretations of the same lines and same words, you mm -hmm. know. And that's what, that's, what, that's, what, that's why actors 
That's why I love actors, you know, because they, they find those differences because they'll make those characters their own. Mm -hmm. And um, that's what's been a joy to just sit back and watch these guys. Oh, yeah. Because I knew I had certain bits and certain rhythm and timing when I wrote it. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, you, you, you start to cast the show the first time and you're putting the puzzle pieces together and. And then you realize, oh, yeah, well, these, this, the chemistry between these actors produces this. And you start learning all these new things. Well, that's kind of how it is with these two new actors, you know, um, like two new ingredients to this stew. And let's and it's really turn it out, mixing really well. That's all right. I have a few more uh, questions for you just to kind of like round out the episode. Great. I like to first lightning round question. You were a performer. You are a performer. Mm -hmm. What was your biggest mishap that you've had happen on stage? Oh, my gosh. Um, well, I can think of a few right off the top of my head. But the first one, um, I can remember we were doing a production of The Secret Garden. Mm -hmm. This was uh, while we were still at the Rotunda. And uh, Mary and Arthur Kirby, who plays Jerry in Texas Carol, uh, happened to write and direct that piece. Okay. And so we were in front of an audience, and the way that the stage was configured was there was, you know, steps down into the rotunda, and then the audience was on either side, right? And so I was standing uh, on the aisle getting ready to deliver the narration, and man, I just went blank. No. I just was like, yeah, I got nothing. There's nothing here. Empty. Marion was happened to be sitting right there, and he was the playwright. And he just leaned over and said, "Whatever my line was," and I was like, "Ah," oh. and I was able to say my line. Yeah. <laughs> and the show was able to go on, but I had nothing, man. I, I you just just you know drew a blank. I was <laughs> just standing there. Sometimes it just doesn't. doesn't no, happen. sometimes it doesn't fire, man. So was that your next line? Was yeah? He just gave me my cue. He yeah. Just, but if he wasn't sitting there, I don't know what would have happened. No, we just would have. Stood up there for a couple minutes. Oh, just yeah. can somebody, they shout it out from the crowd. Yeah. <laughs> up, we're doing a Texas Carol. It's the holiday season. Mm -hmm. Thanksgiving's coming up. Christmas is coming up. What is one of your um, favorite family traditions during this holiday season? Oh. Well, my mom just passed away. And uh, one of the things we used to do as a child growing up, my mom collected uh, the uh, Department 56 snow village mm. right so it's ceramic village yeah and they've got you know now i mean they've been around for 50 or however however long they've been around but we used to give my mom a piece every year so she's got she had over 30 something pieces mm. and so every thanksgiving we would get it out and start that'd be the first thing we set up for christmas and um you know and as the years went on we had more pieces and more pieces and more pieces and so we had this pretty impressive little village mm -hmm. um and we would do that every thanksgiving and my mom wanted me to have the snow village after she passed away so that i could continue to do it because my sister has one she started a collection of her own i see so she's got you know her own village and so for me it was always setting it up with my mom yeah so she you know handed it down to me and so just literally yesterday i drove uh up to Athens to pick it all up mm -hmm. um, because my family's coming here for Thanksgiving. And so we're going to set it up at my house for this year for the first time. Of course, my mom won't be there and that's very, very sad. And I'm sure that will be, uh, you know, uh, sad. Um, but yeah, that's, that's, that's all, that's always been my favorite Christmas tradition. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. That. 
I know that it's been it's it's been tough. Um, but thank you. Um, my final question is: I want to bring attention to your shirt. Ah. So you have a Dallas Saint Texas man shirt on. It's a line from a Texas Carol. Yes. Um, it's to represent like the uh, feud between the Aggies, uh, Texas A and M, and uh, UT. Mm-hmm. And so I want to ask you whether I mean you're a sports guy. I don't know if you root for one of these teams or not, but if you had to choose one of these teams, which team are you on? That's a great question, man. Because as much as I love sports and college sports, I didn't go to A and M. I'm actually wearing the the crimson shirt we have a burnt orange version mm-hmm. for uh, longhorn fans this has just happened to be a better color for my complexion <laughs> than burnt orange and i was going to be on camera um i i root this, this is going to sound like a cop-out i'll tell you who my favorite team is but <laughs> neither <laughs> I, no i root for texas teams like i always root for all all the sports teams in texas okay. like in terms of especially college mm-hmm. um and uh, so, yeah, I always root for – I think college football is more interesting when a and really good, when mm-hmm. Longhorns are really good um, because they have this heated rivalry and now they'll eventually both be in the SEC. I miss the old – man, I miss the Southwinds Conference days, but I don't know, we won't get – that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> You're saying things are going over my head. Yeah. <laughs> um, my wife went to Baylor. Okay. And uh, so I guess um, by marriage I'm a Baylor bear, so – I root for Baylor. Okay. I don't know if the fan base in Houston warrants, you know, a Dallas because it's by it's in Waco, which is not far from from Dallas. Okay. Um. <laughs> so I, I I'm excited <laughs> for A and M fans because they're gonna find themselves a brand new head coach, and you know, good for you guys. But uh, you know, it, it I'm always interested in what the Longhorns are doing. You know, one of the Manning, I think one of the Mannings is. Uh, going to be their quarterback of the future, so Arch. So I keep up with them. Okay. Yeah. Nice to dodge the question. Yeah, it is. Here. I don't. I mean, <laughs> I, it really is. Like, I don't. I don't live or die for either of them. I like it when they both do well. Okay. Well, that sounds great. Well, thank you so much for being on this episode of By George. Uh, thank you all so much for listening to this episode. We have a couple more Texas Carol episodes coming up in the future. Uh, we recorded today in our photo booth in the lobby. So be sure when you come and watch a Texas Carol, you come and get your photo taken. It is part of like the set that we have for our podcast this season. Uh, be sure when you come in as well to get your Dallas Ain't Texas Man shirts. You got to pick your team. Let's not or pick which one fits your complexion there you go you could do that too or both listen if you if you love all of the texas teams you know get them get them all but yeah thank you guys so much for listening and we'll see you all next time bye this has been by george and 80 players at the george theater podcast hosted and produced by miranda zapes listen anywhere you listen to podcasts and follow us on instagram at by george theater that's t-h-e-a-t-r-e there to like share and subscribe and bye, George. We'll see y'all next time. Didn't know who I was going to root for until, uh, you know, it, I was I was still a Cowboy fan. But then when Bob McNair brought the Texans, uh, I think it was in 2002, um, I was just so much fun to sort of get in on the ground floor. Yeah. You know, and uh, I still, I still, you know, I'm, I don't hate the Cowboys like a lot of folks in Houston do. There's like mm-hmm. a lot of visceral hate. No, yeah. Um, and uh, there's a lot of Cowboy fans that are like, how could you possibly be a, a Texans fan now? Because I live here. This is my home. And uh, I'm a hometown team kind of guy. But, yeah. Did you ever play sports? I did. Um, I played football for a while until I realized um, I was contact averse. 
you know, or collision averse. Okay. I guess that's the better way <laughs> to phrase it. You kind of have to be collision minded to play football. Yeah. And uh, I like to avoid collisions. So I played baseball and basketball. There you go. And uh, eventually found my way to basketball um, and almost played college basketball. I was about that close, but um, I didn't get any taller. Hmm. I uh, stopped growing at about 5'10". And, uh, you know, so my ceiling was very low. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, that kind of <laughs> cut you off right there. 